Hello and welcome to episode 634 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this evening. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Sunday, August the 27th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with the Sunday prayer to the Most Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain the forgiveness of our sins. Behold, O Mother of God, at thy feet a miserable sinner, a slave of hell, who has recourse to thee and trusts in thee. I do not deserve that thou shouldest even look at me, but I know that thou, having seen thy son die for the salvation of sinners, hast the greatest desire to help them. I hear all call thee the refuge of sinners, the hope of those who are in despair, and the help of the abandoned. Thou art then my refuge, my hope, and my help. Thou hast to save me by thy intercession. Help me for the love of Jesus Christ. Extend thy hand to a miserable creature who has fallen and recommends himself to thee. I know that thy pleasure is to help a sinner to the utmost. Help me, therefore, now that thou canst do so. By my sins I have lost divine grace, and with it my soul. I now place myself in thy hands. Tell me what I must do to recover the favor of my Lord, and I will immediately do it. He sends me to thee, that thou mayest help me, and he wills that I should have recourse to thy mercy, that not only the merits of thy Son, but also that thy intercession may help me to save my soul. To thee, then, I have recourse. Do thou, who prayest for so many others, pray also to Jesus for me. Ask him to pardon me, and he will forgive me. Tell him that thou desirest my salvation, and he will save me. Show how thou canst enrich those who trust in thee. Amen. Thus I hope, thus may it be. Today, friends, we are going to check out Father John Zulsdorf's explication of the Sunday readings for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. He's titled this, We Live in the Relief, Not the Burden, and it's published at 1peter5.com. Father Zulsdorf begins by saying, For some weeks we had Pauline readings from the letters to the Corinthians. We begin this Sunday with pericopes from the letter to the Galatians. The epistle reading for this 13th Sunday after Pentecost, or as our ancient Roman forebears would have called it, the third after St. Lawrence, which shows how important the saint was to them, is from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 16 through 22. As always, we should get some context straight. Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Galatia, which were in Central Asia Minor, comprised mostly of converted Gentiles. According to Acts, Paul went to that area, although scholars are divided about the precise period in Paul's travels. At some point after Paul's work amongst them, they strayed from Paul's teachings into a Judaizing legalism, perhaps under the influence of Christians who were converted Jews. Some false teachers wormed in and taught that the Mosaic law was also obligatory for Christians, including circumcision. Without observing this law, they couldn't be saved. Thus, the letter concerns matters like observance of the Sabbath and circumcision. In the early part of the letter, we have the longest information from Paul himself about his past life. In the chapter preceding our reading, Paul supports his authority among the other apostles. And we have the famous and important description from Paul about how he stood up to Peter in Antioch, who was sliding into hypocrisy and the Mosaic legalism, which had been superseded. Let's see our epistle passage in the Revised Standard Version. Even as Paul beats up his readers from time to time in this letter, as in chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
He also calls them brethren in verse 15, immediately before the section we will read on Sunday. Brethren, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, which is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance is by the law, it is no longer by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was ordained by angels through an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given which could make alive, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture consigned all things to sin, that what was promised to faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Not easy, particularly in the version you could hear from the pulpit during Mass. In Genesis twenty-two eighteen, God made a promise to Abraham that because of Abraham's obedience, all the nations of the earth would be blessed by his offspring. Hebrew, seed, zerah, meaning descendant, offspring, posterity. In Greek, it's sperma, dative singular spermati. Paul makes much of the singular seed, not seeds, plural. For Paul, the seed about whom God made the promise to Abraham is Christ. Paul also makes the point that God's covenant with Abraham predates the covenant with Moses. He wrote that even though the Mosaic law was imposed because of transgressions, i.e. the golden calf incident, etc., the Abrahamic covenant was still operative. God promised something and his promises are enduring and true. And I'm reminded, friends, if I could interject here momentarily, the work from the illustrious Dr. Scott Hahn, a father who keeps his promises about how our Heavenly Father, of course, fulfills his covenants perfectly. Father Z continues by saying, Hence, Christ fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant after the Mosaic law was imposed. The law cannot save sinners. Salvation is from the seed, capital S, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, Jesus. The covenant with Abraham continued to its fulfillment by the gift, the grace of God. Sinners are saved not by the Mosaic law, but by grace. Mosaic legalism reflects the notion that we win God's favor and salvation through what we do, our works. However, salvation was won for us by Christ. Paul is not saying by this that people don't need to obey laws or do good works. The intent behind the law is still valid, but now has its meaning in the promised seed. The law was a special help, an interim arrangement intended for the Jews to lead them to the seed. Again, capital S. In verse 15, Paul wrote that the law was added to the promise to Abraham as a temporary means to underscore the people's weakness and to make them long for the Messiah who would lift their heavy burden. To return to the Mosaic legalistic practices would be to go backwards. That would be real backwardism because it would mean giving up the goal for the sake of the means laid down for a particular people of getting to the goal. The part about angels needs explanation. The promise given to Abraham was given directly to him by God without an intermediary. The law was given to the people indirectly through Moses. 
Indeed, the rabbis of Paul's time thought that God was so overwhelming that the mediation of angels was necessary, even in the giving of the law. God gave it to angels who gave it to Moses. In Acts 7.53, we find, You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. In Hebrews 2.2, Since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Indeed, oftentimes in the Old Testament, when there is an encounter with God, it is hard to determine who is speaking, God or an angel. In Exodus 3, Moses encounters the burning, unburnt bush. We read, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. Excuse me, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. After that, when the law saw, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. It's complicated. We know that the faithful holy angels simultaneously behold the face of God, even as they are in action for God in a particular way. They are in complete harmony with God in their actions. In any event, Paul's point is that the law is inferior to the promise to Abraham also by the fact that it was given through intermediaries. This paracope from Galatians is never read on any Sunday in the Novus Ordo. That surprises me, principally because of the huge weight Protestants place in the letter to the Galatians and sections of the letter like this. Luther and the Protestants treated Galatians much like a manifesto, a battle flag of the Reformation in favor of salvation by faith alone against works. Galatians was Luther's favorite, so much so that he said in a table talk, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it, I am, as it were, in wedlock. It is my Catherine. A little strange. The gospel passage today is from Luke 17, about the healing of ten lepers. One of them, a Samaritan, a sort of part Jew, part Gentile. Samaritans and Gentiles didn't get along. Jesus sends them off to the priests, but the Samaritan alone returns to Jesus to thank him, which stresses the Eucharistic theme of the Mass formulary. Is there a connection in this Gospel reading with the Epistle? Possibilities emerge. Firstly, the Lord himself stated openly that he had come to the Jews first in his ministry, accepting as a sign that his mission was ready for the next step, the Passion, when the Gentiles sought him out. We see in the epistle the importance of moving from the domination of the Jewish Mosaic law into the freedom that comes from faith in Christ. The Samaritan, bearing both the Jewish and Gentile components, culturally at war with each other, finds healing and harmony in Christ. He is therefore a foreshadowing of the fruits of the missions of the apostles to the Gentiles, as Paul produced and then defended in the churches of the Galatians the Jewish and Gentile elements in harmony, until they were upset by false teachers. Also, the Epistle Paracope reminds us of what it was like to live under the heavy Mosaic law, burdensome by God's intention, so that sins were easily exposed. They could hardly wait for relief. We live in the relief, not the burden. Will this not stir in us deep gratitude? Moreover, the discussion of mediation in the epistle underscores that there is one mediator between God and man, Jesus, 
1 Timothy 2.5. Under the new covenant of God in Christ with his church, although he is in the heavenly temple, perpetually renewing the sacrifice before the Father, Christ is also perpetually renewing the sacrifice through his priests who act in his person, in persona Christi. The priest is our other Christ, alter Christus. Since Christ has ascended beyond the confines of distances and times, his once-for-all sacrifice is renewed every time his alter Christus acts in persona Christi at the altar and does what he commanded. If the Mosaic law was a matter for gratitude on the part of the people upon whom God imposed it for their welfare, how much more grateful should we be after the fulfillment of God's promise in the seed of Abraham, Jesus, and the graces which it brings through membership in his church? In the formerly leprous Samaritan, these strands weave together as he glorifies God in gratitude falling on his face before the Savior. So ends Father Z's explication of the Sunday readings. We cannot be grateful enough for what the Lord has given us, for his passion, his death, his resurrection, for giving us, giving us his mother and St. Joseph and all the angels and saints. We just have so much love constantly poured out to us from heaven. And the only proper attitude to take with that is the old adage, the attitude of gratitude. We can never be grateful enough to God for all that he's given us. He's constantly pouring out graces to us. Are we willing to accept it? Are we blocking that grace? How do we block the grace? Sin. I heard it said just the other day, um, I believe it was Dr. E. Michael Jones's Friday program. He talked about people nowadays wanting to be wanting to have spirituality without morality. Isn't that so true? Isn't that the problem in Protestantism? But not only Protestantism. Many Orthodox and Catholics have this problem as well. Of course, Catholicism is the one true faith. Protestants are holding fast to a heresy, the Orthodox churches are in schism. So we obviously want everyone to be practicing the one true faith, Catholicism. But all Christians have this issue where, well, I'm spiritual, right? Um, or I'm, I'm spiritual, but I don't believe in a church. You know, I, I love Jesus, but, you know, I don't like institutionalized religion. Well, guess what? Jesus started a religion, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. People say, you know, I'm, I'm Christian, or, yeah, but I believe that contraception's okay or abortion's okay in certain circumstances. Well, we have to remember, of course, that contraception sometimes acts as a true contraceptive, but sometimes it murders the baby. Implantation, take fertilization and implantation takes place, but the... Um, you know, the baby is, is killed within a few hours or a, a few days. So that's murder. Like Dr. Martin Brenner said, the famous Jewish convert to Catholicism, um, and uh, abortion, you kill your baby all the time. Contraception, a woman kills her baby some of the time. 
or people will say, yeah, I'm, I'm Catholic, but I think women should be allowed to be priests or I'm, you know, I'm Catholic, but, uh, you know, I, I don't go to confession. Well, then you've made it into your own church. It's not the Catholic church anymore. It's the church of Susan Johnson or the church of Bob Smith or, you know, fill in the blank. That's basically what Protestantism is, right? Thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations, each believing what they want to believe or taking their own vote to, for what they believe in. Because so many times people don't want to change their lives. I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. We have to watch, we have to guard against that. This notion of being spiritual, wanting spirituality, without morality. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to stop committing adultery or you need to stop fornicating or you need to stop getting drunk or you need to stop doing drugs. You have to change the way you live your life. You can't just say, you know, Jesus is my savior and then I can go on living any way I want to. No, you have to live your life according to the Ten Commandments. You have to live your life according to the precepts of Holy Mother Church. It's as simple as that. Anything else isn't Catholicism. Anything else is not the one true faith. We will conclude, friends, by mentioning Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's halo-soma. Org. Please tune into episodes 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast for a discussion about RPM. Actually, two interviews, the former conducted by me, the latter by a gentleman from Word on Fire, the subject being RPM, Rapid Prompting Method. And it features my wonderful sister and my equally wonderful niece in both of those interviews. RPM has been a nearly miraculous breakthrough for non-speakers in terms of their being able to communicate. Communication is a human right. Imagine how frustrated you would be if you were unable to tell your family what you wanted for breakfast, let alone what your hopes and dreams are. That is the situation that non-speakers are in until they break through to open communication. We have to help these people. The same situation was there for the deaf until they broke through to communication via sign language. These people have so much to offer. We didn't even know my niece's favorite color until she was eight years old. Now we know she's a comprehensive genius who can compose music, who's gifted in mathematics, who even knows other languages. It's astounding. So please, let's get the word out there. RPM, rapid prompting method. It's so important. Thank you so much for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please tune in again next time. Goodbye and God love you.